So welcome to week two of a new sermon series we're doing called The End Times According to Jesus. And the reason I wanted to walk you through that timeline is because I think that it's so important that we follow the great story, the meta-narrative that the Lord is giving us through His Word. Let's just back it up on that timeline. He created two people, Adam and Eve. They disobeyed God. The Bible calls that sin, and the children said it. God stepped into the garden, and He made a promise in that moment. That was the first declaring of the gospel. It's called by scholars the proto-evangelion. In that moment, God was promising that he was going to send one who would crush the head of that serpent. God would send a Messiah. He would send a Savior. He would send a Redeemer for the world. But the children also said that, that, the, that then the world, uh, God made a promise, but sin just got worse, right? Here's how much worse sin got. Three chapters forward, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 11, says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. You may want to underline or highlight, circle that word violence. The earth was filled with it. It's almost like possessed with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with, there it is again, possessed with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, I heard a preacher point something out last week that's interesting. I don't want to read too much into it, but but it's just too much to really try to ignore. And if you're a Bible student and you like to study on your own, I'll give you a Strong's Concordance number. If you're a Bible student, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. But if you're into that sort of thing, here's the number. It's H2555. H2555. You can jot that down. You can Google that. You can check that out in your own time. But that's the number that corresponds to the word violence that just popped up here twice in this text. He said, the whole earth is filled with violence. I have to destroy it because the whole earth is filled with violence. When you follow that to the Hebrew, it's the word Hamas. He said, the whole earth was filled with Hamas. I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with Hamas. That word Hamas there in the Hebrew means violence. It can mean cruelty. It can mean wrong, it can mean false, it can mean cruel, it can mean damage, it can mean injustice, it can mean oppressor, it can mean unrighteous. And it's not that common of a word in the Old Testament. It's kind of interesting to me that it sort of pops up at some very interesting moments in the Old Testament story. In fact, in the Old Testament, we have over 23,000 verses that make up the Old Testament. This word, Hebrew word Hamas, is only found in 59 of those 23,000 some odd verses. We see it twice in Genesis chapter 6. The next time we see it is in Genesis chapter 16. I want to show you this because I think this is another important moment that we see it. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong, and that is the same word, Hamas there, may the Hamas done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Let me give you the backstory of that verse we just read. God sent a flood. The world began to repopulate. The children walked us through this already. They built the Tower of Babel. And out of all those people, God chose one man to start a new nation. His name is 
Abraham. His name first was Abram. It later gets changed to Abraham. God chooses this one man to be the person that he would establish a family through that eventually the promised savior of Genesis chapter 3, the crusher of Satan's head, would come through. And the man that God selected for that, his name is Abram, later changed to Abraham. Now here's the thing about Abram at that time. Abram didn't know God. He wasn't a worshiper of God. His parents were pagan. He was pagan. But God chooses Abram and he says, I want you to leave your mother and your father and go to a land that I'll show you. I'm not giving you a map. I'm not giving you coordinates. You just got to start walking in faith. You just got to start walking in obedience. And it was Abram who begins to do that. Later his name's Abraham. This was his first act of obedience. This is his first act of faith in a relationship with God. And God honors that obedience. God honors that faith. And in Genesis chapter 15, God gives to Abraham a covenant or a promise. Scholars call this the Abrahamic covenant. The nature of this covenant is it's an unconditional covenant. What that means is God's the one who's making this covenant. In fact, you can go back. We don't have time to do it today, but you can go back and you can read the story of how God made that covenant. And and Abraham was completely passive through the whole process. In fact, to be more accurate, he was completely passed out through the whole process. God's the one making the covenant. Therefore, it's unconditional. And God is the sole one who's going to keep this covenant. He's in, all in. It all resides on God's faithfulness to keep that covenant. And in that covenant, the children told us, God promised Abraham three things. What were they? Lots of children, lots of land, and a blessing to the nations of the earth. And I just want to tell you, second service, I had to, I had to admonish. Y'all remember that word, admonish? I had to instruct with an edge in the first hour because I just like, ugh. Y'all are, y'all, are, y'all are blessing me right now. I don't know if they like told you in the hall when you were passing, like y'all better be on your game because he's going to get you if you're not. But thank you for being on your game today, right? So he promised Abraham three things, lots of children, lots of, and a blessing would come through his family to the nations of the earth. Here's another way you could say it. He promised him three things, land, lineage, and the Lord. Land, lineage, and the Lord who would be a blessing all the nations. Land, there's this specific piece of real estate in the Middle East that God said, this will be your land. And through you will be a people, a lineage, who will inhabit that land. And through the people who live in that land will come the Lord, who will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. The one who's going to come and fulfill Genesis chapter 3, crush the head of this serpent and make all things new. But just as spiritual warfare broke out on the hills of Genesis chapter 3 when God first made that promise and sin just got worse and the spirit of Hamas filled the earth and God had to destroy the earth with a flood, the same spiritual war continued on the hills of God making this covenant promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. He promised him land, lineage, and the Lord. In Genesis chapter 16, Abraham's wife, Sarah, she says, hey, listen, I think we're going to have to take matters in our own hands here, Abraham. I know what God's promised to you, but we're both old, and I'm barren, never been able to have any children, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you my servant girl. You're going to have a relationship with her, and maybe she can bear you this child that God has promised to you by my servant. You can do this with my servant, Hagar. Abraham foolishly agrees to do that, and then Verse 5 of chapter 16 happens. I already read it to you, but let me read it again. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me, Hamas, may the Hamas done to me 
be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. In other words, she looked at me with hatred. She looked on me, the word there could mean with a curse. That's what it means. And she says, may the Lord judge between you and me. Sarah says to Abraham, I brought this Hamas into our home. But I'm telling you, we got to get it out. This servant girl by the name of Hagar, she has a child, and his name is Ishmael. God names the child. You can see this in Genesis chapter 16, verse 11. Watch this, Genesis 16, 11. And the angel of the Lord, some people think that's a theophany. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself. When you see the angel of the Lord, don't know that for sure, but it's a big deal when you see the angel of the Lord show up in the Old Testament. The Bible says, the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you're pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Here's what he's going to be like. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all of his kinsmen. In other words, God says, this child that is in your womb, his name's going to be Ishmael, because he is going to be like a wild donkey. He's going to be unrestrainable. He's going to be untamable. His hand will be against everybody, and everybody's hand is going to be against him. By the way, Ishmael goes on to have 12 sons, just like the 12 tribes of Israel. Satan loves to counterfeit the work of God. Whatever God's doing, Satan likes to roll out a phony version of that. What eventually happens is God does fulfill the promise that he made to Sarah and Abraham. They do miraculously conceive, and they have a son, and they name that son Isaac, very good. They named that son Isaac. So now you have a problem. You have two wives, two sons, one covenant promise. So who gets the lineage? Who gets the land? Through whom will the Lord come and bless the nations of the earth? As you can imagine, this leads to tremendous conflict now between the two wives. This leads to tremendous conflict between the two sons. But God's choice was Isaac because Isaac was conceived by faith. He did not choose Ishmael. Ishmael was the work of the flesh, not a work of faith. You probably most remember Isaac from Genesis chapter 22. God tells Abraham, take your son Isaac, take him up to this mountain and offer him as a sacrifice there, the one that the covenant promises of lineage, land, and Lord are going to be passed through, I want you to kill him as a sacrifice. And this probably makes no sense to Abraham whatsoever, but he probably remembers what happened last time. What happened last time, he didn't trust the promises of God. He took things into his own hands. So this time, he's going to be obedient to the Lord. So the Bible says he takes wood and he puts it on the, the back of his son Isaac, and Isaac starts to carry the wood on his back up this mountain. And by the way, I don't know how you saw it in Sunday school. Probably wasn't right. Isaac wasn't some uh, young little boy, helpless. He was big enough to handle himself, but he trusts his father. He willingly yielded himself. He's not resisting. He's trusting. And he carries the wood on his back and he takes it up this mountain to offer himself as a sacrifice. Does that sound familiar to you? This is painting a, a picture way in advance of what Jesus would do for me and for you. That for the will and the glory of his Father, he would put wood on his back. He would walk it up a mountain and he would willingly yield his life for your forgiveness 
and for mine. He is the Lord that has been promised to come through this lineage of the people who would dwell in this land. And by the way, the same mountain that Isaac was walking up that day is the same mountain that Jesus walked up when he laid his life down for me and for you. Now, what do you suppose Abraham was thinking as he's standing there looking down at his son holding a knife over his heart? What do you think he's thinking? Here's what he's thinking. He's thinking, well, if I do kill him, God is so faithful, God's going to raise him up. Because God has made this promise that through him, he's going to provide land, lineage, and the Lord. And God is a keeper of his promises. Do you know that to be true today? God is a keeper of his promises. You say, how do you know that's what Abraham was thinking? Because it's in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Through him is the lineage who will dwell in the land, through whom will come the Lord. What was he thinking? What's Abraham thinking? Verse 19, he considered, he thought that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham believed God is going to be so faithful to this promise that even if I stop my son's life, God's going to give it back to him because he's promised lineage, land, and the Lord, the blessing will come through all the nations. God stops Abraham when he's in the very act of offering his son as a sacrifice. He says, hey, you passed the test. You've not withheld your, your son from me. Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, look at it. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Jireh. As it said on this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And you need to know this. It wasn't only provided on that day for Isaac. It was provided on that mountain one day for me and for you. Isaac received a substitute in his place on that mountain. Many years later, you and I would receive a substitute in our place on that mountain as Jesus Christ laid down his life to save sinners like me and you. All of this happened on what is today called the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem. Because of that, that's a precious place to us Christians because we kind of look back to that sort of as the origin of our story. For the Jewish people, that's a precious place because they look to that place as really sort of the origin of their story. It's where Abraham trusted that God was going to do what God said he did in terms of land, lineage, and Lord, and he would raise up Isaac even if necessary. But that piece of property is revered by Muslim people too. Why is that? They believe it was from that same small piece of real estate that uh, Muhammad ascended into heaven. You say, who is Muhammad? Well, Muhammad is the person who about 2,000 years after Abraham claimed to have gotten a message from an angel. said he was visited by this angel. And this angel tells Muhammad that uh, you're going to start a new religion because the, the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures are wrong. They, they've got it all wrong. They, it's just backwards. And the angel tells Muhammad that God didn't choose Sarah. God chose Hagar. And God didn't choose Isaac, God chose Ishmael. And that the covenant promises of lineage and land and Lord flow through Ishmael, not through Isaac. Muhammad takes the account of Genesis 22 and flips it around and says that it was actually Ishmael that carried the wood up the mountain for his father Abraham. That it was Ishmael who laid his life down willingly as a sacrifice. He flips the story. Hagar's accepted. Sarah's rejected. Ishmael's accepted. Isaac is rejected. And, and 
the Muslims would say that the promises made to Abraham, they don't belong to the Jewish people who came through Isaac. They belong to the Arab people, the Palestinian people who came through Ishmael. And they say, this is about our lineage. And it's about our land. And it's about our Lord. And our Lord is Allah. This is what this conflict has been about for so long. This is what this conflict that's going on today is still about. Land, lineage, and Lord. Still to this day, it's between those two sons of Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac. You need to know, and I'm trying to tell you this, what you're watching happen today in the news isn't just political. It's, it's spiritual. It's bigger than politics. It's ultimately, and I told you this last week, this is all ultimately about worship. It's about who is the Lord. Who is the one true Lord? That's what it comes down to. It's about worship. And so when you see Hamas, and I want to remind you today, when I say Hamas, please don't make an equivalent to every Muslim person. Don't, don't do that. Hamas is a terrorist organization. We, we pray for our Muslim friends, and I have Muslim friends, and I want them to know the one true Lord, that many of them desire peace. They don't want this. I, I, a message on one of our social media accounts, I don't, I'm not on social media, I don't see that, but I was told that uh, a follower of Jesus in Israel, and y'all, some of y'all may have seen this on our social media, made a comment, maybe on Instagram, um, about their relationship, friendship as a follower of Jesus with Jewish people and with Muslim people and how God is at work right now over there. We're not hearing these stories, but, but good things are happening for the kingdom right now. We should praise God for that because right now only 2% of the Jewish people follow Jesus and only 2% of the Muslim people follow Jesus who are no longer technically Muslim now. They're, they're followers of Jesus, right? And I want to be careful even about using the word Christian because that's a political, cultural kind of term. Let's talk about being followers of Jesus today, right? So 2% of the Jewish people there are followers of Jesus. 2% of the Muslim people there follow. I just want to say that because I don't want us to get swept up into when he's saying Hamas, he's talking about all Muslim people. We're not talking about that. We want to keep a kingdom perspective today. But we, we see this terrorist organization called Hamas being celebrated in the streets, whether that be in the Middle East or on our Ivy League campuses. I want to tell you what you're watching. You're watching worship happen. Praise and honor and glory is being given to a false god. That's what you're watching happen. If you've watched any of the videos from when this war started, you probably heard the same phrase uttered that some of us got familiar with 20 plus years ago with 9-11, Allah Akbar, which commonly is understood to mean God is great. The better translation of that out of the Arabic is, our God is greater. Our God is greater. The Hamas terrorists said that phrase as they committed those incredible atrocities to the youngest, to the weakest, to the most helpless, the most vulnerable of their victims. As they did what they did, they were worshiping their God. They were declaring, our God is greater than your God. This is a war that is spiritual in nature. And listen, the only explanation I have of how human beings can do what has been done 
to the smallest, weakest, most vulnerable other human beings. The only explanation that makes sense to me is they had to be filled with demonic spirits. It's demonic. Just this morning, there's a story that has come out this morning or just recently over the course of this weekend, new to me, I read it early this morning, that on some of these uh, Hamas invaders that did these things, those that lost their lives, the IDF has found a specific drug that they were using. They found this drug on the bodies of these Hamas terrorists. This is in the news today. You can Google this. I don't have time to go into all of that. Uh, Captagon is the name of it, C-A-P-T-A-G-O-N. ISIS has been known for the last eight years or so uh, to be users of this. It's peddled. It's a huge industry in the Middle East, but Google Captagon Hamas. You can check this out for yourself. One of these Hamas uh, individuals you might have heard over the weekend was captured. IDF has been interrogating that individual and uh, they have even said on the news outlets that the things that that individual has described that took place to the bodies of the people after they were deceased are not things that the media could put into print or broadcast across the airwaves. Folks, that tells you just how evil and demonic and dark and twisted some of those things are that happen because you know there's not much that's off the table anymore in our culture. But for the secular media to go, we're not even going to touch that. Nobody needs to even know that, to hear that. It's that heinous. It's that, that bad. It's demonic. Now we're learning it's drug-induced. Revelation chapter 18. This is where my mind went this morning when I read that news story. And I hope y'all are paying attention. Not, not just now, but like not 24-7. I told you last week, that's not healthy. But, but this... Uh, bury my head in the sand, numb myself with mindless entertainment. Some of you, all you think that's happening right now is college football. I love college football. I watched college football yesterday. Y'all, college football seems so puny right now on the world stage in comparison to the things we're watching going around us. I hope you're awake. I hope you're paying some attention. So when I read this about Captagon this morning, my mind went to Revelation chapter 18, verse 23, midway through there. God says, For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. That word sorcery in the Greek is the word pharmakia. It's where we get our word drugs. It's where pharmacy, pharmaceuticals come from. The Lord's already told us in his word in the last days, uh, there's a drug-induced delusion that will overtake the world. Today in the news, we're finding out the reason these people could do some of the most heartless things that humanity's ever known is because of these drugs that they were taking. It's believed that a lot of these people back in Gaza uh, were taking these drugs, perhaps even forced to take these drugs, so that when you see these insane celebrations happening in the, in the Gaza Strip, it, it may be traced to that. And listen, I just believe that drug use is often a way that Satan opens up his work into somebody's heart and life. I've just dealt with that too often throughout the years. It, I was reminded even this morning that uh, when um, synthetic marijuana kind of became a big thing a few years ago, two young men, independent of each other, didn't even know each other, because of what they saw when they were under the use of that particular drug, it shook them so severely. They both independently, not knowing each other, uh, within a close amount of time, scheduled an appointment to, to come talk to me. They, they just knew I, we need to go talk to a preacher about this, and independently of each other, they described to me the same type of demonic vision of this type of thing that was 
after them. Listen, if you're a young person here, I'm not trying to freak you out or scare you or anything, but whatever could be an addiction over your life, you need to fight against that. Satan is oftentimes working through those things as a way to find an entry into a, a person's life. This spirit of Hamas, this spirit of violence, it's demonic. I have no doubt about that. The spirit of Hamas, uh, of, of violence, was so severe in Genesis chapter 6 that God had to wipe the earth of mankind through the flood. There's been times in the past I read that thought that seems a little overreach on God's part. It's a little bit harsh, right? But, but when I hear what's happened to women and children and elderly, and I think if that is what filled the whole earth, the flood makes perfect sense to me. And how many times throughout history has that same spirit raised itself up against the promises of God about lineage and land and the Lord? Here's what you need to know today. People in politics come and go. The players on the stage come and go. But the work of Satan and his demons, they stay the same. They just use different people in different places at different times. Listen, I believe with all of my heart that what you and I are watching right now on the center of the world stage is a spiritual war that's being manifested as a physical war. I don't believe that because I'm watching the news. I believe that because I read the Bible. Ephesians 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Listen, we need to be praying that we would follow Jesus more faithfully as Christians. We need to be praying that our Jewish friends would know and follow Jesus. We need to pray that our Muslim friends would know and follow Jesus. And Hamas, who's currently our enemy, the Bible even tells us to pray for our enemy. Oh, that God would send salvation down and crush this uprising of violence and terrorism with the peace of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Demons are at work in our world. They always have been. They not always will be. Praise the Lord. They have an expiration date. They know that full well. They may explain why they seem to be so busy right now. But that's the only good explanation I have for how these kind of atrocities could happen and be committed. It's just demonic. And that's not anything new, by the way. Hurting and harming little ones. That happens in our country every day, legally. It's the same spirit. We, we call it abortion. But it's the same spirit, right out of the same hell. It's not anything new with this kind of evil. In fact, I want to take you back to the story of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Ishmael, Hagar. Remember back in Genesis 16, I told you that Sarah says to Abraham, hey, I brought this Hamas into our home, and you've got to get it out of here. I want you to fast forward to after she's had that baby, 16 years later. He's about 16 years old now, Genesis chapter 1. Ishmael's about 16. Isaac is about 2. Say, how do you know that? Because of what I'm about to read to you. Genesis chapter 21, verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. That means he's not having a nurse on his mom anymore. He's starting to eat some solid food. And Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham laughing. Sarah sees Ishmael, the Bible says, laughing at Isaac. And she said to Abraham, cast out. That sounds like what you would do with demonic spirits, right? Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And I've read that in the past and thought, okay, chill, lady. Chill. He's just laughing. 
That's an overreaction. Some Bible translations say playing. And I go, Sarah, cool your jets, man. He's 16. It's his little half-brother. He's two. They're just playing. They're just laughing. That's what I thought. But I studied that a little closer this week. And here's what one commentator said on this. Why was she so furious that Ishmael was playing with Isaac? Was it jealousy or was there another reason for her angry response? It would seem that just playing with her son would not have been anything unusual. The word playing or laughing in verse, chapter 21 verse 9 has been translated in different ways in various Bible versions. It could be mocking, laughing at, making sport of, or making fun of, and could even be fondling. As indicated in a well-known Bible encyclopedia and a popular Bible lexicon implies, it can even suggest conjugal caresses. That's exactly the way it's used in Genesis chapter 26. Same word, laughing, playing, is used as the word caress, a conjugal type caress, Genesis chapter 26 between Isaac and Rebekah. The commentator goes on to say, the Bible's filled with euphemisms, those inoffensive expressions which are substituted for one that is considered offensive. So we must ask if that is the case here. Was the question from the commentator is, was Ishmael molesting Isaac? Well, that would make a lot more sense why Sarah responded the way that she Responded. Now, I've never paid too close attention to this until this week. And I found that Paul actually brings up this occurrence in the New Testament. Did you know that? It's in the book of Galatians. He brings up the occurrence of what happened between Ishmael and Isaac. And what Paul indicates in Galatians chapter 4 is that Ishmael wasn't merely playing, he wasn't merely laughing. But something worse, far worse than that. He was actually doing harm to a very young child that was barely old enough to be weaned from his mother. Galatians 4, I'll show you. Galatians 4, verse 28. Now you, brothers, this is Paul speaking to the church at Galatia, Christians in Galatia. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, who was the one born according to the flesh, Ishmael. He said, he who was born according to the flesh, persecuted. He doesn't say play. He doesn't say laugh. He says, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. It would seem that Ishmael, somewhere along the way, has picked up that same spirit of Hamas, that same violent spirit that has no regard for the smallest, the weakest, the most vulnerable. In fact, when we get to the next book of the Bible, we find Pharaoh committing infanticide, killing all the babies in Egypt who are descendants from who? Isaac. These are the Hebrew people. These are the descendants of Abraham and Isaac. You know, what the, you know what the Pharaoh was doing? He was committing Hamas. He said, how do you know that? Joel chapter 3. It's in the Bible. One of the 59 times we find it in 23,000 verses. It's in Joel chapter 3, verse 19. Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness. 
for the violence done to the people of Judah, for the Hamas done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. Listen, I'm telling you, this is the same demonic spirit that filled the earth in Genesis chapter 6. It's the same spirit that crept into Abraham's home and is now in his homeland. It's the same demonic spirit that threw baby Hebrew boys into the Nile River. It's the same demonic spirit that Haman, you heard his name is Haman in Sunday school. His name's Haman. It's one letter off from Hamas in the English. It's one letter off from Hamas in the Hebrew. Haman's name means raging or turbulent. If you don't know the story of Haman, read the book of Esther. Haman sets out a plot to have all the Jewish people exterminated from the Babylonian Empire. He almost gets away with it, but God raised up a young Jewish girl by the name of Esther for such a time as this. Haman Praise the Lord, was not successful. But I believe it was that same demonic spirit at work in the book of Esther. In fact, to this day, when the Jewish people are celebrating the Feast of Purim, which is a feast that they're looking back at the story of Esther, they're celebrating how God protected his people in that story. They read the entire book of Esther, and when they get to Haman's name, they will boo and hiss so his name doesn't get heard in their ears. That's exactly, still to this day, how the Jewish people celebrate the Feast of Purim. It's the same demonic spirit we find in the New Testament when Herod is killing all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem at the time of the birth of Jesus. This demonic hatred, this demonic violence, this spirit of Hamas so often seems to orbit around what? The lineage, the land, and the Lord. And we have theologians today who say that God's through with Israel. They say today that the church has replaced Israel, that Israel's a non-factor now. Well, if that's the case, somebody needs to tell Satan and his demons because they seem to think that Israel, the land, the lineage, and the Lord are a very real factor, that they're still very important in our world. And I do believe they are. I don't believe that the church has replaced Israel. Some disagree with that. Some great followers of Jesus disagree with that, but I can't get there. I don't think the church has replaced Israel. Abraham so believed the promises were going to be fulfilled. He said, even if I kill my son, God's going to give him back. I believe God has made promises to Israel that are still going to be fulfilled. It is their land and it is their lineage through which our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has come to save people like me and you, Americans and Jews and Muslims and you name it, red and yellow, black and white, every tongue, tribe and nation, he has come to save and to rescue and to redeem. The Bible says, and I, I believe and I think Satan knows it, Satan couldn't stop the first coming of Jesus, so we're watching him try to stop the second coming of Jesus. Why? Because if there's no more Israelites, then we don't need any promises to be provided to them. What is Hamas's stated objective? To remove Israel from the land? That's not their stated objective. Hamas has no interest in a two-state solution. What is Hamas's stated, stated objective? To do what? to remove them from the earth. They don't even want to put them on an island in the middle of nowhere. Because as long as there's one that remains, the promises of God are still on the table. I believe the reason that Israel has remained in the crosshairs of Satan for the last 2,000 years is because God isn't finished 
with Israel yet. Read the Old Testament. It's filled with promises He's made for His people. I know other and many of you probably, at least some of you in this room, I trust, see it differently than I do. That's okay. If you love Jesus and you're following Jesus and you believe in God's Word, man, we're on the same team. We're not going to divide over an issue like this, our eschatology. But while I'm telling you what I believe, let me tell you this. I also believe at any minute Jesus is coming back for his church. Any minute. I believe that. I, I look forward to that. There's some days it's probably the only thing that keeps me going. It's just a little bit of hope that this is it today. Because I don't, I don't think I can do another day. So this has got to be the day. The Bible calls that event the rapture. And I'm trying to set up Matthew 24 and 25 for you so I... I it's important that I tell you where I'm coming from at Matthew 24, 25. And again, we can have a Bible study around eschatology, and you can disagree, and we can talk about that. But i, I got to lay the foundation for you know where I'm coming from. I believe after this rapture event happens, the rapture is when Jesus comes in the air. That's not his second coming. Jesus comes in the air, and the church, the dead who have put their faith in Christ, will rise first. We who are still living who put our faith in Christ will rise to meet them and the Lord in the air. We go to be with the Lord in this place called heaven for those seven years. Years. then God in the next seven years is going to turn his attention to this earth, specifically to the nation of Israel. The Bible calls this the time of tribulation. He's going to turn his attention once again toward Israel because he's made these promises to Israel. That means there has to be Israelites. Land lineage, Lord, still on the table. And during this time, these seven years, the Antichrist is going to rise to power. He's going to present himself first as a man of peace. You can sort of even see that maybe the stage is being set for that now. I don't know if it's in a week. I don't know if it's in a thousand years. Listen, the reality is Israel could go away off the scene and look like they're dead and gone, and they come back. That could happen four or five more times over the next 5,000 years. I don't know. I don't think so. But I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't know when, but I know it's going to happen. And the Antichrist is going to present himself as a man of peace. He's going to show up on the scene and go, hey, I got this figured out. I, I got it figured out how tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people don't have to die in these conflicts anymore. And it's going to work to you and for you and for you. And it's going to all be a sham from the Antichrist. He'll make a peace treaty with Israel. And the Bible says that halfway through that, three and a half years into that, he's going to break that treaty with Israel. He's going to stand in the temple, which means there's going to be a temple. There's going to be a Jerusalem. There's going to be an Israel. And he's going to call all the world to worship him there in that temple. I'm telling you, this is all about worship. And then the final half, after he breaks that treaty and stands in the temple and desecrates it with self-worship and calling the world to worship him, the final half, final three and a half years of that tribulation is what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. This is when God pours out his holy wrath for three and a half years. It will be like nothing the world has ever seen before. And at the end of those seven years, I believe the Bible teaches that Jesus, that's his second coming. He's coming. And the Bible says we're coming with him. We're going to rule with him for a thousand years. This will be a peaceful time and a prosperous time in this old broken, fallen world for a thousand years. And I believe those thousand years are the capstone to God's redemptive work in this broken, sinful, fallen world. Then after that, Satan and demons and unbelievers and death and hell are all thrown into the lake of fire. And then the Bible says, then Jesus is going to make a new heaven and a new earth, one where sin has never existed and the possibility of it existing will not even exist, and we will live with him forever. And people want to know right now, are the things that are happening right now, are they fulfillment of prophecies or signs about the return of Jesus? 
Here's my answer. And this is my answer based on how I understand God's word. I'm, I'm convinced of this. Others are convinced other ways. But here's where I'm convinced. I don't think any of the specific signs that we read about in the Bible that we're going to read about from Jesus in Matthew 24 and chapter 25, I don't think any of those specific signs are going to happen until Jesus takes the church out of the world. I think all of those are going to happen after the rapture takes place. Some of you sound like you're disappointed. You ought to be glad if I'm right. You ought to be really glad if we get out of here before all that stuff starts happening. I believe that's true. Now, I do think that things are happening now that are paving the way for those specific things to happen. I believe things are happening now that are setting things in place for specific things to happen. It's just like yesterday, me and my oldest son, Isaiah, we were at a store, and and they were already setting out their Christmas stuff. And this guy says to us, hey, are y'all ready for Christmas? And my answer is no. I love Christmas. I love Christmas. But I love Thanksgiving too. And I know this, Thanksgiving comes before Christmas. So right now, I'm not really excited about the Christmas stuff, but it serves to remind me before Christmas gets here, Thanksgiving's going to be here. And I'm telling you right now, what I think is happening is God's putting all the things of the second coming on the shelf. He's getting it all in place. But before all those things happen specifically and clearly, there's another event. Our Thanksgiving's going to happen, right? That's our rapture. That's going to happen. The truth is, church, I'm not looking for signs. I know some of you like your charts and you follow your end times people and you're all about the signs. I'm not. The way I understand the end times is this. As a member of the body of Christ, his church, his bride, I don't have to look for signs. I'm just looking for the Savior. Just looking for him. I could be wrong, but I don't think those signs are for us. I don't think they're going to happen specifically and in full until Jesus clears the deck, finishes out this thing called the church age. Paul calls it the mystery. Clears the deck, takes us home, turns his attention back to Israel. That's where Matthew 24 and 25 are going to come in. We'll get there pretty soon. I don't believe there's anything else that needs to happen before Jesus comes and takes his church home. We're not waiting on anything else to happen. Nothing. He could return for us before we walk out of this room today. Pray he would. Lord willing, and if we're still here next week, I'll talk to you about that event called the rapture. Because we need to walk through that a little more specifically before we get to Matthew 24. For now, I'll close with these words from Paul out of 1 Thessalonians. I want you just to hear these. Would you just bow your head, just close your eyes and listen to the Holy Spirit out of his word. Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who've passed away. So you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. God, help us to set our mind on things above. God, help us to walk in this awareness, God, that this is not our home. God, help us to see what's happening around us through the lenses of your word. And God, help us to learn how to speak the truth of your word to one another. You just told us to encourage one another with these words. And there's followers of Jesus today who are trapped in Gaza. There's followers of Jesus today who are trapped in the West Bank. There's followers of Jesus who are trapped on the border of Israel and Lebanon. There's followers of Jesus in Syria and Iran and Jordan. And there's followers of Jesus in this room. And God, today, discouragement and heaviness of heart could be from missiles or missed opportunities. And anything in between on that spectrum. God, this morning, we want to speak words of truth to and over each other. We want to encourage one another with the truth of your word. That you are a God who keeps his promises. Always have, you always will. You're a God whose throne is not up for grabs. Your sovereignty is not somehow shrinking over time. You are still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God who saves and rescues. You're the God who sent your one and only Son into the world to gather a people to yourself from every tongue and tribe and nation. And you're a God who's sending that same son to come and take his church home, establish his kingdom and create a new heaven and a new earth. God, I believe all of that. I do. So God, help us to encourage each other today, wherever we may be in the midst of our lives, that you are God and you have not forgotten us and you will not fail and you will not abandon us and you will not leave us or forsake us. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit is speaking that message today from Macaulay to the Middle East and all points in between. Lord Jesus, we're asking for there to be a great outbreak of salvation to all the nations today. Perhaps even in this room today, God, would you do that? We're asking you, we're believing you, we're trusting you, we're looking to you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Let's stand and let's worship the Lord and let's pray. Let's be obedient. Let's respond the way he's guiding our hearts to respond to him today.